Man, let's give God a hand clap this morning. God bless you all. You can be seated. Um, today, I want to talk to you about the wrong way to follow Jesus, the wrong way to follow Jesus. Uh, first, let me say happy Independence Day to all you patriots out there. Uh, glad that you're here today, decided to celebrate with us. How many of you are going to be shooting off fireworks in celebration of this grand event? We got some Joe Dirts in the audience. Amen. I love it. Uh, and so um, those of you that are having any experience with fireworks, you know that there is a wrong way to shoot off fireworks, right? We all get that. There's a wrong way to do it. And so your overconfident 14-year-old son grabs the lady fingers, fuzz buttles, sn- uh, snicker bombs, church burners, finger blaster, gut busters, zippity doodahs, spleen splitters, whisker biscuits, honky lighters, husker doos, husker don'ts, and cherry bombs. Then you're going to say to them, back up, Terry, put it in reverse. Oh, no, Terry. Some of, some of this is going away over y'all's heads. I'm sorry. I couldn't resist. You got to do that because fireworks don't care about your feelings, right? They will blow your face right off if you do it wrong. In the same way that there is a wrong way to shoot off fireworks, there is a wrong way to follow Jesus. There is a wrong way to follow Jesus. Jesus once said, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. Jesus said that there are, they're going to come a day where we stand in judgment before him. People that are convinced that they're Christians will stand before Christ and he'll say to them, depart from me, I never knew you. There's a wrong way. And no matter how you feel about this reality, because this does hurt people's feelings, there is one right way to follow Jesus. There's not a a variety of different ways. There is one right way. Jesus said, I am the what? Way. I am the life. I am the truth. No one comes to the Father except through me. The very earliest Christians, they referred to themselves as uh, followers of the way. So we all must approach Jesus in the same way, and if we don't, we will be gravely disappointed. Let's all stand together. Mark chapter uh, 14, beginning in verse 1. It was two days before the Passover and the festival of unleavened bread. The chief priests and the scribes were looking for a cunning way to arrest Jesus and kill him. Not during the festival, they said, so that there won't be riot among the people. While I was in Bethany at the house of Simon the leper, as he was reclining at the table, a woman came with an alabaster jar, very expensive perfume of pure nard. She broke the jar and poured it on his head. But some were expressing indignation to one another. Why has this perfume been wasted? For this perfume might have been sold for more than 300 denarii and given to the poor. And they began to scold her. Jesus replied, leave her alone. Why are you bothering her? She has done a noble thing for me. You always have the poor with you, and you can do what is good for them whenever you want, but you don't always have me. She has done what she could. She has anointed my body in advance for my burial. Truly, I tell you, wherever the gospel is proclaimed in the whole world, what she has done will also be told in memory of her. Then Judas Iscariot, one of the twelve, went to the chief priest to betray Jesus to them. And when they heard this, they were glad and promised to give him money. So he started looking for a good opportunity to betray him. Maybe we'd be inspired today to follow Jesus 
the right way. Let's pray. Father, I pray that as we come, we've bowed our heads, we've closed our eyes, we're praying to you, we're singing praises to you, we've gathered around your word. I pray, Lord, that we'll all be receptive to your message for us. Lord, we all have different things in our life that trip us up, different things that we're struggling with, different things that we, for whatever reason, we refuse to let go of today. Lord, I pray that we'll be convicted and empowered to throw off all those things that so easily entangle us and run the race with perseverance that you set before us. Help us to walk in the direction that you would have us. Lord, I pray today that you'll speak through me. I'm just a sinner. I'm only saved by your grace. And Lord, if these people are gonna be blessed in any way, it can't be a message from me. It has to be a message from you. So Holy Spirit, have your way in this place today. As you stand there with your eyes closed and your head bowed, I encourage you to just say a prayer for uh, the people that are around you today. Take a moment and pray for Dave. He's still not feeling well. Pray for people that may be watching online. Pray for Uplifting Children's Ministry. They dedicate their new building today. Take a moment, pray for yourself. Father, speak to us. We're ready to hear what you have to say. In Jesus' name, amen. You can be seated. So in our passage today, uh, our attention is drawn to two people who followed Jesus around for the better part of three years. Uh, we've got Judas Iscariot, who we're all familiar with, and then there was what I call, what I refer to as the Jewish ruling class. In this, in this passage, they're called the chief priests and the scribes. Um, and, and these two people, they were eyewitnesses to the life-giving ministry of Jesus. And I, I don't want us to miss this point that everywhere that Jesus went, things got better. The sick were made well, the hungry were fed, the oppressed were set free, the multitude uh, was fed, the blind people see, uh, the, blind, uh, the blind can see, the, the mute can speak, the lame can walk, the dead started to rise. Judas himself, he was present for some of the most amazing moments in Jesus' life. The Sermon on the Mount, J Judas was there. Uh, he saw Jesus walking on the water. He, he heard Jesus praying to the Father in heaven. He was there at the Last Supper. Uh, Jesus called Judas a friend and a brother. They knew Jesus in a way that you and I would die to know Jesus. They had that level of intimacy, that level of connection. They walked with Jesus on the shores of the Sea of Galilee. Just think about that. They, they shared meals with Jesus. That's something that we would love, and yet they were so familiar with Jesus, and yet they conspired to kill him. How could you be so familiar with Jesus Christ the Son of God, the Savior of the world, the perfect man, and still be so far from him, and still be so furious with him, and still forsake him. How could you do that? I see two components, two characteristics in these groups of people, Judas and the Jewish ruling class, that led them to forsake Christ. And I pray that all of us are convicted of any hint of this that exists in any of us. Here are the two characteristics, the two components. Both had an agenda and both full of arrogance. An agenda and arrogance. We see the Jewish ruling class had an obvious agenda. You see, they had a special arrangement with the Roman Empire. The Roman Empire was the, the ruling um, power in this region. 
And they had this an arrangement with the ruling class or the, the Romans, the Jewish ruling class had an arrangement with the Romans that uh, empowered them to make a lot of money and have a lot of power. And they viewed Jesus's growing influence to be a threat to their peaceful arrangement with the Romans. Their desire to kill, to kill Jesus, it came to a head when Jesus cured, when he healed when he raised from the dead Lazarus. You'll remember this story. Lazarus had been dead in the tomb for four days, and Jesus found out about it. Jesus was a friend of Lazarus. He went to where Lazarus was, and he called into his tomb, and he said, Lazarus, come out. And Lazarus, who'd been dead for four days, he, he rose from the grave, and he comes out, and he starts ripping off his grave clothes. A lot of people from Jerusalem, a lot of Jewish people, they saw this event, and they began to pledge their allegiance to Jesus in alarming numbers in astronomical numbers. In the Jewish ruling class, they heard about this. And this was their response. John chapter 11, verse 47. So the chief priests and the Pharisees convened in the Sanhedrin and were saying, what are we going to do since this man is doing many signs? If we let him go on like this, everyone will believe in him. Now watch this. And the Romans will come and take away both our place and our nation. The Jewish ruling class had a special arrangement with the Roman powers that made them a lot of money, gave them a lot of power, and they saw Jesus as a threat. They said, if he keeps on this way, everybody's going to believe in him, and it's going to start a revolution, and the Romans are going to push back against it, and they're going to take away our place, our place of privilege, our place of power, our place of prestige. They're going to take away all of our power and our possessions, and they're going to take away our nation. Very next verse, John chapter 11, verse 49. One of them, Caiaphas, who was the high priest this year, he, he is the leader of all the leaders, the most powerful voice in the room. He says to them, you know nothing at all. You're not considering that it is to our advantage that one man should die for the people rather than the whole nation perish. And so the leader of the priest says, it is advantageous, advantageous to our agenda if Jesus were dead. They were motivated by their agenda. Mark chapter 14, verse 1, it was two days before Passover, the Feast of Unleavened Bread. The chief priests and the scribes were looking for a cunning way to arrest Jesus and kill him. Verse 2, not during the festival, they said, so that there won't be a riot among the people. So the Jewish ruling class, they wanted to do away with Jesus before the festival because during the festival, uh, the Passover festival was kind of a patriotic, patriotic festival. It was, it was similar to our 4th of July. Uh, this is the, the day that they celebrated, or the season, there was about a week, that they celebrated their deliverance, miraculous deliverance from slavery in Egypt. And so they did all these different uh, rituals and events to be reminded of that. They didn't have fireworks to shoot off, and so they had meals, and it was a big time. But a lot of people would come to Jerusalem. There would be millions of people in Jerusalem during this time, and all these people have all this national pride during this moment. And all these people, they hate the Roman Empire. They, they would love to see the Roman Empire done away with, and so it's kind of a powder keg. And so the, the Jewish ruling class, they didn't want to upset the peace with the Romans because they liked it. They liked the arrangement they had. They're just trying to keep the status quo. And so they knew if they arrested Jesus, all the common people who love Jesus would riot. And then that would bring in the Romans, and it would, it would be a disaster for their nation and their position. And so what Mark does here is kind of interesting and a little bit confusing. This is what's known as a Markian sandwich. How many of you know what a Markian sandwich is? Wayne is the only person that's been listening to this whole Mark series. Thank you, Wayne. I appreciate it. So what Mark does in his biography of Jesus is he, he starts a plot line. 
and then he'll go away from it because it, it, it kind of feels like for a second that Mark has ADHD and he's chasing a squirrel down a rabbit hole, okay? But what happens is he comes back to the original plot line. He, he, he veers away from it. He, he talks about something else, and then he comes back to the original plot line. That's what we see here. And so in the, the middle of this Markian sandwich, Mark goes to uh, a different place. He goes to Simon's house. And um, at Simon the leper's house, the leper, once been healed, apparently been healed by Jesus, uh, he's hosting a meal. And during the meal, in the middle of the meal, a woman, likely a friend of Simon, she busts in, she barges into the meal, which was a cultural no-no in that moment, in that season. And before anything, anybody can say anything, she breaks open a jar, an alabaster jar, full of expensive perfume, and she pours it on Jesus' head as a sign of honor. This is a thing that you would do to a king. And a few of the disciples, they protested. And Jesus said, leave her alone. She's done a good thing for me. Now, we'll pick back up the story, Mark chapter 14, verse 10. In response to that event, Judas Iscariot, one of the 12, went to the chief priest to betray Jesus to them. And when they heard this, they were glad and promised to give him money. So he started looking for a good opportunity to betray Jesus. Like the Jewish ruling class, Judas had an agenda that motivated him to betray Christ. Judas objected to what he called a wasteful use of this expensive perfume because of his selfish agenda. Let's look at John chapter 12, verse 6. Why did Judas betray Jesus? He didn't say this because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. He was in charge of the money bag and would steal part of what was put in it. Judas didn't care about the poor. Judas was motivated selfishly. And like the Jewish ruling class, Judas had an idea of how Jesus should act and conduct himself. And the moment that Jesus no longer matched Judas's selfish agenda, Judas wanted to do away with him. A couple, a couple selfish agenda with an arrogant heart, and you have a deadly combo. To think that you know better than the water walker, the demon slayer, the miracle worker, takes a disastrous level of pride. And that's what we see in both the Jewish ruling class and Judas. They had a disastrous level of arrogance and pride. Jesus once healed someone, and the Jewish ruling class, they responded by calling Jesus an agent of Satan. They viewed themselves as the saints, and they viewed Jesus as a sinner. Listen to the moral superiority of Judas's statement in Mark chapter 14, verse 4. But some were expressing indignation to one another. Why has this perfume been wasted? For this perfume might have been sold for more than 300 denarii and given to the poor. And they began to scold her. Judas scolded this woman. He accused her of being irresponsible. He placed himself in a position of moral authority. This is the same phenomenon that's going on in our world today. Can you see the same exact thing happening all around us? A godless agenda coupled with a disastrous level of arrogance. Uh, there's this, this thing that's in our world today. It's a woke culture, and it's made its way even into the church. People are obsessed with a social justice agenda, a perverted social justice agenda, and they're empowered by a morally arrogant spirit. You should check out, there's a, a YouTube channel. Uh, I think he's also on Instagram. I, I follow him on Twitter. It's called Woke Preacher Clips. Has anybody ever seen Woke Preacher Clips? No, you should check it out. 
He clips actual preachers teaching in their congregations on Sunday morning, things like this, multiple clips of, of this kind of preaching, that Jesus was racist, that Jesus had to overcome his privilege, that Jesus had to be corrected by a woman of color in order to step into his destiny. I could go on and on and on about these people that are morally superior. They think that they've got it figured out better than Jesus, the water walker, the demon slayer, the miracle worker, the savior of the world. They know better. Jesus was archaic. Jesus' views are so old school. We've been enlightened. And so what we need to do is correct Jesus. There's all sorts of preachers. There's all sorts of, all sorts of self-professing Christians that propagate this demonic ideology. These type of people are so arrogant in their godless agenda that they will try to make you out to be the bad guy, even though that you're standing on biblical principles. They'll say of you, you are, you are bigoted. We are tolerant. You are bigoted. They'll say of you, you are hateful. We are loving. They'll say of you, you are ignorant. We are enlightened. Judah said, don't you care about the poor? The Jewish ruling class, they said, don't you care about our nation? The abortionists, they say, don't you care about rape or incest or the life of the mother? The trans activists will say, don't you care about intersex? Don't you care about teen suicide? But the truth is these people, they don't care about these things. They don't care about justice or equality or love. They want their way. They want their sin, and they want you to accept it. Someone sent me a post a couple weeks back on Facebook, and the post basically read this. I'm not going to quote it because of all sorts of craziness, but it basically said this. My kids want to go to a church in Winchester, but I can't stand ignorant, bigoted preachers who hold X, Y, and Z biblical position. I won't even give you the details. What church would you recommend? So don't miss this. So what he's saying, I want to send my kids to a church. They want to go to a church. But I can't stand people that hold these positions. What church would you recommend? This is the wrong way to approach Jesus. I have my mind made up. This is what this man's saying. I have my mind made up. Anyone holds, that holds a different position, they are ignorant they're ignorant. I'm enlightened. They're ignorant. I can't stand those people, and I don't want anything to do with them. My heart breaks for people, the countless people, self-professing Christians who have been deceived by this agenda, who cancel Bible preachers and teachers because they have, they have decided to live in an echo chamber. They want to hear what their tickling ears want to hear and they have an arrogant and sinful agenda be affirmed. That's what they want. It is impossible to follow Jesus with a selfish agenda and an arrogant heart. Let me say that again. It is impossible to follow Jesus with a selfish agenda and an arrogant heart because inevitably your agenda and your arrogance will lead you to betray Jesus. Eventually, you're going to come to a crossroads, and Jesus is going to draw a line in the sand, and he's going to make you pick, are you with me or are you against me? Do you trust me or do you not? Do you love me or do you love yourself? It will lead you, your agenda and your arrogance will lead you to believe that you know better than the Son of God and the Savior of the world. Mark chapter 8, verse 34, listen to what Jesus says. 
If anyone wants to be my follower, he must deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. Selfish ambition and vain conceit are completely contrary to the way of Christ. You cannot hold on to your sin and follow Jesus. You cannot be arrogant and surrender to Christ. You have to deny your selfish agenda. You have to humble yourself. You have to accept personal responsibility for your sin in order to follow Jesus as Lord. There is no other way. You can't afford to get this wrong. You can't, in the same way you can't afford to get that gut buster, finger splitter, spleen splitter, fireworks wrong, you cannot afford to get this wrong because people driven by a selfish agenda and an arrogant heart bring a curse upon themselves. Listen to what Jesus said to the Jewish ruling class. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. You're like whitewashed tombs, which appear beautiful on the outside, but on the inside you're full of bones and of dead and every kind of impurity. In the same way, on the outside you seem righteous to people, but on the inside you're full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. Snakes, brood of vipers, how can you escape being condemned to hell? Of Judas, Jesus says, Mark chapter 14, verse 21, for the Son of Man will go just as it is written about him, but woe to the man by whom the Son of Man is betrayed. It would have been better for him if he had not been born. Don't follow Christ the wrong way. It is possible for you to be familiar with Christ and not follow Christ. Are you tracking with me? It is possible for you to answer all of the right questions on the Sunday school test and not be saved. It is possible. Forsake your agenda. Forsake your arrogance and follow Christ. Follow the example of the woman in this story. You see, that's why Mark puts these two stories together is because you see the Jewish ruling class and you see Judas and they're motivated by selfish agenda. They're motivated by arrogance, but then you find this woman in the middle and she's this beautiful example of what it looks like to follow Jesus. Mark chapter 14, verse three. While he was in Bethany at the house of Simon the leper, as he was reclining at the table, the woman came with an alabaster jar, of very expensive perfume, pure nard. She broke the jar and poured it on his head. And so we see, we see a woman. And chances are she's a friend of Simon. She's familiar. There's a party going on at Simon's house. And Simon was a leper. He'd been healed. Uh, We know that he'd been healed because Jewish people don't hang out with lepers. Lepers Leprosy is contagious. Okay, so he's been healed, and, and she's probably a friend. We also know from John's gospel that this is the sister of Lazarus. Lazarus is the one who'd been raised from the dead by Jesus. Uh, this is, uh, this lady, this woman, is a follower of Jesus. This is the same Mary who chose to sat at Jesus' feet as Martha was busy in the kitchen. You remember that story? And, and Jesus says of Mary, because she decided to sit at Jesus' feet instead of like scurry about doing housework, she said, Mary has chosen rightly. You remember that story? Okay, so this is the same woman. And she barges into the house. And again, this is a cultural uh, just a, a faux pas culturally. Uh, women, women weren't really included in these types of dinners. And so for a woman just to barge in, that was kind of a, a cultural taboo. But she doesn't ask for permission. She just barges in because she has it on her heart to honor Christ. She's like, I don't care what people say or think about me. I don't care that I'm breaking some sort of cultural norm, some stupid cultural norm. I'm here to honor Jesus. I wish we had more Christians who didn't care about optics. 
I wish we had more Christians to say, I don't care about political correctness. I don't care about cultural norms. I am here to worship Jesus no matter what you say or what you think. You remember the story of David, King David, they're bringing in the Ark of the Covenant, which represented the presence of God, and they're bringing it back to the holy city. And as they're bringing it back, there's people playing music, and there's people dancing around, and David's like dancing around, like he's dancing around like crazy dancing, like takes the shirt off and twists it around the head like a helicopter. He's going crazy, and his wife, his wife, she's kind of, you know, like this hoity-toity lady, and she says, she scolds her husband, the king. She says, you are the king. You shouldn't be dancing like this. And I love what David says. I wish we had this heart. He says to his wife, I will become even more undignified than this in worship of my king. Amen. I wish we had more Christians that say, I don't care what the world thinks or says about me. I love Jesus. I am unapologetic in my love for Christ. And so this woman, she barges in, and she doesn't ask for permission. She just bursts in, and she breaks open this jar. She has this expensive jar of perfume. And, and we find from Judas, we find out that this perfume could have been sold for 300 denarii. Now, let me, let me spell this out, how much this perfume is worth. A, a denarii in that day was one day's wages. Now, on average, people work about 300 days in a year. And so this, this perfume was worth the equivalent of a year's worth of wages. That may be like forty dollars or $50,000 jar of perfume. This is not the kind of perfume that you can get at Bath & Body Works, okay? Better than Aqua De Gio or Cool Water or Ralph Lauren. How many of you wore those fragrances? I got some on this morning just in honor of this. It was, it was expensive. And so this perfume cost upward of forty dollars or $50,000. And it wasn't just like smell good. Nobody buys this amount of perfume just for smell good. This was a way for them in the ancient world to store wealth. Instead of putting money, they didn't have a bank to put money in. You didn't want to, you know, go and buy. So she went and bought this very expensive perfume. This was a store of wealth. And this was security for her future. It was a a retirement plan. Or, this is what most scholars believe, this perfume was part of her dowry. And so what would happen is she would take this perfume upon being engaged to, and she would present it to her betrothed as a way to, um, you know, be accepted into his family. This was an ancient custom to, to provide a dowry. And so this, this, was, this was very, very valuable to her and to her future. And so what does she do with this perfume? She breaks open the jar. Now, she could have just popped the top off and just done a little couple little squirts on Jesus. She could have done that, Right? She could have saved some for her future, but she broke it open as a way to signify, I am not holding anything back. And she poured it on Jesus' head. She, She gave all that she could to Christ. Her most prized possession, her security, her future, her ambition, her agenda, she gave it all to Jesus. And Judas called it a waste. He said, this is wasteful. We could have taken this money and given it to the poor. Look what Jesus says, Mark 13, 14, verse 6. Jesus replied, leave her alone. Why are you bothering her? She has done a noble thing for me. What the fake people of our world call a waste, Jesus called a noble thing. Don't let the world condemn you for your faithfulness to Christ. Don't let the world condemn you for your faithfulness to Christ. Your devotion makes them ashamed of their depravity. And so they don't want to repent of their sins, so they'd rather rebuke your sincerity. They'll call you a Bible thumper, a holy roller, old-fashioned, dumb, naive, 
a Christian nationalist, a hate preacher, a right-wing supremacist, reject all of their labels and accusations. Jesus Christ is the judge. Let God be true and every man a liar. Amen? Don't care what arrogant, agenda-driven people say or think about you. The only thing that matters in this world is what Jesus' evaluation is of you. That's the only thing that matters at the end of the day. The day before this, Jesus watched a poor old widow bring two copper coins to the temple offering. Now, this was, this was a, uh, a, a, uh, an event that was a spectator sport in this day and age. And so Jesus, he, he taps his disciples on the shoulder, and he said, I want you to watch this lady. And she brings two, these two little copper coins. It was the equivalent of a dollar and 47 cents that she put in the offering. After she did that, Jesus said of this woman, she has put in more than all the other worshipers today. Now, that's a huge statement because many of the Jewish ruling class, they had come and dumped thousands of dollars in the temple offering that day, and they got a huge round of applause. Nobody paid attention to this widow. They yawned at it. Maybe they even laughed at her, but Jesus says she has put in more than all the others because she put in all that she had to live on. You see, the Lord judges by a different standard. The world looks at the outside, but the Lord looks at the heart. Therefore, in the kingdom of God, there is no sacrifice too small to be meaningful, and there is no offering too great to be wasteful. Jesus honors what little you can give, and Jesus is worthy of all that you have. This woman that burst in to the dinner party, she had been accepted by Jesus as a friend. Her friend Simon had been healed of leprosy. Her brother had been raised from the dead. This was the least that she could do to anoint and honor a king like Jesus. Jesus Christ is the God of the universe. He was born for you. He lived for you. He died for you. He rose for you. He's coming back for you. What does he not deserve? He deserves it all. False followers, they'll hold on to their arrogant agendas. But the one with whom Christ is pleased loses their pride and is filled with humble gratefulness. Don't serve Christ out of obligation. Serve Christ out of appreciation. Don't serve him to earn something. Serve him because of what he's already done. Jesus has done so much for me. If he never did another thing in all my life, I still, I could praise him for all eternity and it still wouldn't be enough. There is no room for arrogance. There is no room for entitlement. We've got to be full of gratefulness. The type of people that all we can say to Jesus is not, Jesus, what about this? Why didn't you do this? How come this is happening? Instead of those, we need to just be saying, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. You saved my soul. You saved my marriage. You saved my life. You changed my world. I'm going to heaven because of you. What does all this other stuff matter? Jesus, you deserve it all. He is worthy of all. And so this is what we got to do. Just like the lady, we got to break it open and pour it out. We got to break it open and pour it out, not holding anything back. That's what it looks like to follow Jesus. Mark chapter 14, verse 7. You always have the poor with you, and you can do what is good for them whenever you want, but you don't always have me. Jesus puts things in perspective for the church, for the Christians in this statement. There are many people in this world who are fans of Jesus. They love the idea of Jesus as a great teacher or a prophet. They don't believe that he was the son of God. They don't believe he was the savior of the world. They don't believe he rose from the dead, but they like, they like what he had to say. 
and they liked that he was a good guy, and he did good things for people. And, and, and these type of people that don't really believe in Jesus, they're fine with the church as long as the church kind of stays in its lane. As long as the church will focus on feeding poor people and caring for the vulnerable. And so that's what a lot of churches do. They just focus on they're going to start a food bank. They're going to take care of orphans and widows and refugees. And they're going to keep Jesus out of the front. You know, they're going to keep, keep Jesus out of, like, you know, being vocal about it and being real, like, aggressive evangelistically and stuff because, you know, really we just need to focus on taking care of, you know, the vulnerable people and the needy people. And this is what Jesus says. He says you're always going to have the poor with you. Now, that doesn't mean you don't serve the poor. That doesn't mean you don't try to take care of the poor. You should try and do all you can to help people that are vulnerable. But the primary mission of the church isn't benevolence. The primary mission of the church that takes priority over everything else is to bring glory to Christ. You see, governments can feed and clothe and house. Feeding America's Salvation Army, they can feed and clothe and house. Courts can work out justice, but only Jesus Christ can heal the broken spirit. Only Jesus Christ can save the lost soul. Only Jesus can do that. And so social services, they can meet needs, and juries can uphold justice, but only the church, only the Christians can preach the gospel. Feeding people, clothing people, housing people, it is good. But friends, what good is it to gain the world and lose your soul? What good is it is if every person in Winchester is fed and clothed and housed if they're not all saved? What good is it? What good is it? So we must prioritize preaching the gospel to the nations. As a church, as Christians, you must prioritize calling sinners to repentance, calling prodigals to come back home, calling people to submit to Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. Mark chapter 14, verse 8. She has done what she could do. She has anointed my body in advance for my burial. Our world is a mess right now. In so many different ways, we want to see things turned around. But the problems are so overwhelming, it's sometimes hard to know what we can do. But what if honoring Christ in a meaningful way is less complicated and involved than you think? What if honoring Christ in a meaningful way is simply doing what you can do? This lady did what she could. She didn't know what she was doing. She didn't know the significance of it. As she barged into the room and cracked that jar open and poured this anointing oil over Jesus' head and the aroma, the sweet aroma filled the room, she had it on her heart to bless Jesus. And this is the only thing that she could think to do. She didn't understand the implications, but Jesus says of her, she has done for me what no one else could do. Man, how often we've missed opportunities to bless God and serve people because we thought, our little efforts won't make a difference. Or we thought the time commitment won't be worth it. But remember, there is no offering too small. There is no sacrifice too great when it comes to honoring our Lord. God has done more with less before. He fed 5,000 with five loaves. He defeated a great army with 300 men. He changed the world with 12 rejects. He saved humanity with one Galilean preacher. He created the world out of nothing. If he did it before, he could do it again. If he did it before, he can do it again. And so don't take for granted what your seemingly little efforts could do to change the world. Don't underestimate what Christ can do through you. Christ's followers, they don't have an agenda. They're available. They're available. So instead of saying, I don't have time, instead of saying, it won't matter, 
Instead of saying, they won't even notice. Instead of saying all the excuses that you say to do the good work that the Lord has placed on your heart to do, instead of making excuses, instead say to the Lord, here am I, send me. Here am I, send me. That's what a Christ follower does. They are available, and they adore Jesus, and they serve him. Mark chapter 14, verse 9. Truly, I tell you, wherever the gospel is proclaimed in the whole world, what she has done will also be told in memory of her. Arrogance and agendas motivate people to build their own self-centered kingdom. That's what it is. That's what arrogance and agenda, that's what it's, that's what it's aiming at. Let me build my own life the way that I want. I want to be the king of my own domain. I want to be in charge of my world, and I want everything to line up. That's why you get so aggravated when people drive slow in the fast lane. I got some place to be. You're building your own kingdom. Now, this is what history shows us. The greatest kingdoms fall, and the greatest kings are forgotten. The greatest kingdoms fall, and the greatest kings are forgotten. Can't any of you tell me who was the emperor, the most powerful man on the planet the day Jesus died? How many of you can name a pharaoh, the most powerful person on the planet during that age, besides King Tut? And you don't know anything about his life. You just know that Steve, uh, just the SNL squid, that's all you know, or that he had an expensive grave. You can't name a pharaoh. You can't name very many emperors. When did Napoleon Bonaparte, when did he live? You can't even tell the, the exact. So these are the most powerful men leading the most powerful kingdoms, and yet they are largely forgotten, and their kingdoms are long defeated. But there is somebody that we do know, and almost everybody knows about this little lady, this woman who anointed Jesus with oil. Didn't care about what people had to say or think. She did what she could to honor Jesus, and the whole world throughout the ages has been inspired by her devotion. I came across this poem this week. It's longer than this, but I, I like what it has to say. Only one life, yes, only one. Soon will its fleeting hours be done. Then in that day, my Lord to meet, and stand before his judgment seat. Only one life will soon be passed. Only what, what's done for Christ will last. Only one life, yes, only one. Now let me say, thy will be done. And when at last I'll hear the call, I know I'll say, t'was worth it all. Only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. How awful to stand before Christ on the day of judgment and hear those words, depart from me, I never knew you. How awful. Friends, it doesn't have to be that way. Instead, may we hear Matthew chapter 25, verse 23. Well done, my good and faithful servant. You've been faithful over that alabaster jar of perfume. You thought it was so important to your future and your security, but you barged in. You didn't take no for an answer. You didn't ask for permission. You didn't think what people would say a thing. You broke it open. You were faithful with what I gave you. And now, now, I invite you in to enter into your master's happiness. Isn't that what you want to hear? There is nothing in all the world that is worth more than that. And so, friends, I pray today that you'll understand what it means to follow Jesus is to love and serve him 
with everything that you can. Lay down your pride. Forsake your agenda. Break open your heart and pour out your life knowing it will all be worth it because you know Jesus is worth it all. Let's pray. Father, we come to you today and we acknowledge that all of us, we fight arrogance. Each and every person in this room, sometimes we think that we know better for you than you what's best for us. Sometimes we think that you need to take a lesson from us. And so, Lord, I, I pray that each and every person in this room is convicted of every time that they've done that. And, Lord, I pray today that you'll remind us, you'll humble us, and you'll help us understand we are nothing without you. We are absolutely nothing without you. Every single breath we take is a gift. Every step we take, it is a gift. It is by your grace, it is by your mercy that we live and we move and we have our being. And so, Lord, help us to humble ourselves today. And Lord, as we come into this room and we're inundated in our culture by agendas, 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 they're everywhere, they're all around us. And it's overwhelming. And sometimes, Lord, people paint us out just because we're trying to be Bible-believing, Jesus-loving Christian, people paint us out as a bad guy. Lord, help us not believe any of those lies. And Lord, if we come here today with some sort of an arrogant agenda and we're holding on to our sin because we think it's better for us, or we're holding on to our viewpoint because we're thinking that we know better than you, Lord, I pray that you'll help us to see that your way is better. Lord, we want to love you. We want to serve you. We want to follow you. We can only do it if you empower us. So Holy Spirit, have your way in each and every one of us. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's all stand together. Uh, this is an opportunity for us to remember Christ. In the back of the room, on either side of these aisles, we have uh, emblems. Uh, crackers and juice, uh, they represent the body and blood of Christ. And so the Bible says, Jesus says, uh, as often as you do this, do this in remembrance of me. He says, this is my body broken for you. This is my blood spilled for you. And so somehow when we take these emblems, we are connected to the sacrifice that Christ made for us. We're connected to the victory that's found in his name. We're connected to the healing that's found in his sacrifices. We're connected to the promises that he's made all throughout eternity. And so if you're here today, you haven't taken those emblems, I'd encourage you to do that. And be so grateful. I pray that as you eat that cracker and you drink that juice, I pray today that you are overwhelmed with gratefulness. And you think about all the things that Christ has saved you from. Just think about where you would be if Jesus hadn't intervened. Just think about where you'd be going if Jesus didn't pull you out of your muck and your mire. Just think about it and be filled with gratefulness. If you're here today and you've got an agenda, I hear people say this all the time, what about my happiness? What about my happiness? And that's, that's their agenda. I want to be happy. And so they do what they know dishonors God. They, knew, they do what they know disobeys God in order that they be happy. Listen, friends, happiness is fleeting, but the joy of Jesus lasts forever. And so let me encourage you today, if you're holding on to an agenda of happiness, come and lay it down at this altar and say, Jesus, I don't want to be happy. Jesus, I want you because you are better than happiness. You are joy. You are peace. You are hope. You are love. You are life eternal. And that's what I need. Come and lay down your agenda. Lay down your pride and you'll be filled up with life a life that no one can snatch from God's hand. So as we sing this song, I'd encourage you to come. If you're here today and you've never received Jesus as your Lord and Savior, listen to me. 
You can build the greatest kingdom the world has ever known. But in eternity, it's just a sandcastle. It'll come tumbling down. Your name will be forgotten. Your life will be meaningless. But in Jesus' name, your name will be written in a book of life. And it will never be forgotten. And your eternity has an inheritance that will never perish, spoil, or fade. The Bible says we will move from glory to glory. That can only be found in submitting your life to Christ. And so if you're here today, you've never done that, please come and talk to me. As we sing this song, come.